Welcome to the April 12th, 2018 Science Fiction Club meeting. Um, I should have put a pause there so I could edit it more easily, but I'll figure that out later too. Well, there might be a slight... Anyway, and uh, here we are at the fourth meeting of the year already. My goodness, and it feels like spring here, where we are. So, anyway, we are bringing our own books again this month after a very interesting meeting last Mar- last month in March. So, um, whoever wants to jump in first uh, certainly may begin right now. Okay. Well, it blipped for me, so I guess I'll go first. I wanted to tell you about a book called The Darkling Plane by L.A. Wilson, and that should not be confused with As on the Darkling Plane by Ben Bovo. They are an Entirely different books, but a Darkling Plane by L.A. Wilson, the L stands for Leroy, is kind of an in-solar system space opera. That is, there is no interstellar travel here, and pretty much the entire solar system to the outer planets have been colonized, but the space drive being used is still plain old rockets, so it takes a very long time to travel from planet to planet and moon to moon, and um, it can take months to years, so they do have something like cold sleep to put people in suspended animation when they are moving from one place to another. The gist of the plot is that on one of the outer worlds, um, I really forget whether it's a moon of Saturn or it's been a while since I read this. And by the way, this is one that I scanned for Bookshare quite some time ago. But a murder is committed. A prostitute is killed and hacked up. And it so happens that this prostitute turns out to be the daughter of a U.S. congressman. And a detective is sent in to investigate the murder. And yes, he has to go into cold sleep a lot because he ends up hopping from planet to planet. And so obviously this investigation takes years. Now, let me say, long time ago, when the Tom Snyder show was on television, that was the sometimes called the Tomorrow Show, they had a guest on there who represented an organization that was a fan club for bad movies. When a movie was really bad, they loved it. And they had a top ten list and so on. And interestingly enough, all of the really worst movies that were ever made were science fiction movies like Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, Plan 9 from Outer Space, or Attack of the Killer Tomatoes or what have you, but they thought those movies were so bad that they were good, and they loved bad movies. Well, if there was a a fan club for bad science fiction books, I'm sure this would be on their list, because this book, The Darkling Plane by L.A. Wilson, is so bad, so terribly bad, that you just revel in how bad it is, and it is so bad that it is good. I told you the basic plot, there was nothing original about it. Uh, 
Um, the dialogue is extremely stilted. He's, well, what it comes down to, this is a book that was published by Vantage Publishers, which is known as one of the more famous indie publishers that will publish pretty much anything. I looked up the name of the author on the internet and found out that he is a doctor in Georgia. I think he was an internist, and I certainly hope he is a better doctor than he is a writer, because the writing was downright awful. But you know, I still recommend the book. I recommend it because, like I said, it is so bad that it is good. You can just revel in how bad it is, how predictable it is, how utterly awful it is. In fact, it is so awful that I just might go back and read it again. I, uh, now I don't know what fan club this was, um, but I have been a fan of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 shows for many years, ever since the mid-90s when they moved to the Science Fiction Channel, um, and uh, I've got some of them on DVD, and i got some of them that I downloaded from YouTube, and there's still more that I'd like to get, but they all feature bad movies that um, they have set up in a movie theater, and there's a guy and these two robots that make commentary throughout the movie about uh, all the bad things that are happening. And a lot of them are visual, but many of them are also verbal, or they comment on the music, and they comment on the sound effects. They just comment on everything that's bad about the movie. And um, Plan 9, they did Plan 9. They didn't do it when it was on TV in the 90s or in the late 80s. They they did a special production for movie theaters that we went to several years ago, Plan 9, where uh, Mike, the main human, and the robots were commented on Plan 9. But um, So I enjoy these B-movies, especially when they got the commentary on them. So... So it sounds like a really fun kind of book that's is similar in, the, in in that vein that would be great to have a running commentary along, which, of course, you could do in your head as you read along and enjoy the horribleness of it. <laughs> well, is it my turn? Can I go now? Or are you done talking? Do you need to talk more about the bad movies and stuff? Oh, no, you can go ahead. Okay. Um I read Sin of Origin, that's S-I-N-O-F-O-R-I-G-I-N, by John Barnes. And there's a really bad copy of it on Bookshare that was rated as good, and usually those aren't too good. But it is on Bard, and it was recorded sometime in 1989 or something. It was narrated by Bob Askey. And the book is essentially... It's. Um, a sp- I re- originally read this in Galaxy Magazine way back when, and I was delighted to see that it got on Bard. It's about a group of Catholic priests and others who are, well, it's, it's like the 2900 A.D., so it takes place probably about a thousand years from now. And most of the groups that lived on Earth have divided up into their own segments. There is the communists, there is the democracy people, and there is the Catholics, although they just call it generally the church. 
And it's kind of a medieval version of the Catholic Church. They have the Templars, which are the military ha- bunch, and then they have the the others who are, you know, the bishops and the and the um, um, religious side of it. And they go out and they visit different planets and they decide how they would fit in, whether they don't want to be, planets don't want to become part of it or um, the pagans who are willing to but are hesitant about it and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, they go to this planet and the planet has three separate species. There are the people who look like flying horses. There are, they, they're called griffins. There are what they call the hand people, which are kind of humanoid, except they have three sets of two arms, which means that they can do a lot of the grasping and the helping and the lifting and everything for the horses who don't have any kind of uh, hands or arms to manipulate with. If they do, they can't do very much of it. The third species is the, uh, the snakes, and these are telepaths. And so what happens is that the three species form triads with one member of each species in each group. And that kind of functions as a family, and it generally works out pretty well. Although the church comes in and tries to um, not push anything, but there are groups of triplets who are wanting the church to leave and so they start a war with them and eventually the rebels who don't want the catholics in there they kind of calm down but eventually they you know they're still kind of in the background and what happens is that a lot of the old style triplet groups have broken up because some of them have converted and some of them haven't and the ones who are converts want to stay together and then there's other stuff going on And this book is divided into three parts. The first part is basically what I just told you. The second part is kind of how things are settling down once they have a university and such. Uh, And then the third part is where everything starts to really fall apart. And I have to warn you, the ending is really ambiguous. You can't figure out there's a war happening between Earth and some of the other planets somewhere, and somehow they manage to get involved with with this... uh, planet that I just talked about, and you can't really tell who gets nuked at the end. So it's not one of these books that you're going to find a real satisfying ending, ending for. It's just where the way the way it is and the way that it ended up. But I was absolutely fascinated with the book, and even more now, because as I read it so long ago, I really uh, couldn't uh, get a hold of the whole significance of it because I was in college and I was having all kinds of stuff going on as far as the things I had to study and the things I had to know. And now that I've read it again, I've become more appreciative of it. So that's Sin of Origin by John Barnes, and it's on Bard. Well, um, sounds kind of interesting. Uh, I going to talk today about a book called Nixia, which is a book um, by Scott Reingen. Reingen? 
I guess, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, but it's R-E-I-N-T, as in tango, G as in golf, E-N, Reingen, I don't speak German. Anyway, this is a book about a team of kids who are chosen um, to go to a distant planet in order to find a power source for Earth. And uh, this power source is a, is a material that is mined on, on the planet. And um, it's the first in a series, I think, um, because it ends rather abruptly. Excuse me, but the kids go through this, on the way to the planet, they go through this trial period where they have to learn to manipulate the Nixia. And they do this by a means of various contests and, and so forth, so uh, there's all this rivalry between the kids and how they how they act and, and so forth. And... Um, I thought it was a very good book. It showed the kids uh, to, to be quite natural, um, and I I enjoyed reading it. Um, as I say, the ending was kind of a cliffhanger, but I I enjoyed it. And it's on Bard. It's uh, eighty nine six six five, and it's called Nixia, N I X. I-A, Nixia. So, um, that's my book. That sounds like a really fun one to read. I'm going to check it out. Thank you. Well, I guess it's my turn now. Um, <clears throat> I decided to read the sequel to the book that I read a month or two ago. Um, and I had the title, I forget exactly, Trip to an Angry Planet, or something like that. And, um, it um, the, that first book ended with the AI of the ship acquiring a, a, a human body, and um, she considered that to be a problem for for the, the the crew of the ship. So she escaped, and she went off uh, with two people that she had met in the first book, one by the name of Pepper and one another human named Blue. And the book picks up, the second book is called A Closed and Common Orbit. The author is um, Becky Chambers. And it basically is uh, a book that describes how she, as an artificial intelligence, inhabiting a human body, which which she calls a kid, how she struggles to adapt to life as a human. And... The book is divided in chapters between her story and the story of her two friends to with whom to whom she goes. One who's the, the woman's name is Pepper, and she's like a, a, a an altered human. And it starts with her as being a little child by the name of Jane. So the the book the chapters um, undulate between Jane, and then the next chapter is Cedra. Because originally the, the the artificial intelligence name was Lovelace, 
And then when she took on this this body, the kit, she decided to change her name to Cedra. So in one chapter, you have Cedra trying to deal with, you know, be, becoming human and her struggles. And and then in the next chapter, you, you talk about um, Pepper's childhood with the name of Jane when she when she lived on this with a lot of human beings that apparently were, were, were engineered just to, as little children, just to, to work gathering materials and, and putting together scrap, basically. And as I say, the book jumps back and forth between those two stories until they finally come together towards the end. And um, Sidra, what, well, Jane, basically, in her, she runs away from the, from the, the dormitory for the factory where she and all, and all the girls' names were Jane's. So she runs away and she's all by herself and on this on the, on this lonely planet where the factory is situated and apparently some of the wildlife are dogs that, that almost get her, wild dogs. And then she's she hears this voice and she ends up entering a, 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 a spa, an abandoned uh, space shuttle and the artificial intelligence there becomes almost like her mother and sort of raises her. And eventually she, she does escape and, and they, they, they get the shuttle to work and they, and they escape and, and she finally becomes the present person whose name, like I said, was uh, Pepper. And, and they have a, a, like a workshop that they put together, you know, different types of items, like scraps and making ships and things mm-hmm. like that. And uh, in the meantime, Cedra uh, is not happy with her human form and wants to return to her original form as an uh, as an AI, you know, the control controlling a ship. And it gets a little strange towards the end, but they they manage to rescue her, the AI that was her mother, who had somehow been taken to another ship. And it, it, the ending was a little bit. You know, not clear to me, but apparently it, they all managed to get together at the end and it sort of ended happily. So the, the book was, it was, you know, it was a little slow. I think I enjoyed the first book better. There was more action it, action it than this one, but it had some interesting, you know, interesting ideas. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. That brings back a lot of really fond memories of my reading the book. And... Uh, um, both of them actually, and I don't know if she's ever going to, author's ever going to have a, a third book in the in the series or not. But I think it's complete as it is. But thank you for mentioning that, because man, I I love those two books. They're just great. Um, my book for this month is the complete short stories of Isaac Isaac Asimov's complete short stories, Volume One, and Bookshare had a not very good copy of it, so one of the scanners um, re-scanned it, and we and I proofread it, and it has about forty-six stories in it. It just went up today. It just got approved today. And I enjoyed it so much. It's very interesting that I really enjoyed um, Isaac Asimov as a writer, and but when I met him at a Star Trek convention. And saw him, you know, over a weekend in New York City. I thought he was a dirty old man, and I was really disappointed in his personality. And it's like he was obsessed with women. I mean, obsessed. 
And so, but when he actually got up to speak, it was a relief because for the most part, he, you know, was the Isaac Asimov that, that I, whose writing I, and intellect I had admired. So I want to tell you just briefly about some of the stories. There's too many good ones to get through them all, but Nightfall is a classic and Isaac Asimov isn't sure why it was one time voted the best science fiction story of all time. Um, I thought it was very clever. It's about a civilization where there are six suns and they are never ever in the dark and they don't even use lights because all they need are windows that they can adjust the curtains to get as much light as they need so that when they expect all the suns to be out of view um, at one time and the people will be plunged into dark, they don't have sophisticated sources of light and it turns out that this nightfall that they're about to experience has occurred in the past and a, re a religious sect sort of remembers it but it seems that every every time this happens the planet of the civilization destroys itself by fire because that's the only you know they're they're so panicked that they set everything on fire just to try to beat back the dark and it's unfortunate that though they are hopeful the the astronomers are hopeful that some of them will survive this time and maybe get a head start when the civilization has to reform uh, you get the feeling at the end that that may not happen and that that they're just going to repeat the same cycle um another very famous story is the ugly little boy where they bring forth a Neanderthal child, and um, it's a newsmaker, and it puts this company on the map, and um, all these scientists want other artifacts from the past to be brought forward for study. And after the public has tired of the um, novelty of the little boy, he is just taking up space that new... Um, objects could occupy but in the meantime he has a nanny who becomes very fond of him and there are issues um, where they treat the little boy as, as subhuman and um, the child is wistful that he can't leave the room where he has been brought forward to and the book has a very uplift the story has a very uplifting ending it was very touching um there's a story called the machine that won the war and i love the logic in this um because after the war all these these guys start telling the truth and one of them says well you thought that the machine was telling, you know, it's Univac, and they have, 
Univac is in several of the stories, and it's a giant computer. And they say the man says, "You said that you thought you could depend on Univac, but all that time, I was feeding it my impression of the data because Univac was its ability to gather data was deteriorating, and it wasn't making good." suggestions and so then a man over him says well no that was me I was doing just the opposite of Univac because I knew it was deteriorating and so I thought the best bet was just to do the opposite and you know it turns out that all of these people canceled Univac out in their own way and it was just an interesting story about dependence on a the hyper-intelligence um, of computer. Um, oh, it's Multivac, sorry. Um, there's a story called The Dead Past, and I thought they, they talk about intellectual anarchy, and I was interested in this story because at that time in this in this future landscape, every scientist had to declare like when they finished college or when they were going into college, they had to declare exactly what their theory was and then they could receive funding and they were boxed into that theory for the rest of their career. And so people, scientists who suddenly got an idea and, and were diverted from that track were called anarchists and I just thought that was an interesting scenario. Um, it had to do also with a time machine and what would happen if people could really look back on the past and see their dead loved ones. You know, would they spend all their time reminiscing? Um, because, you know, especially people who are grieving for someone, um, it also talks about science writers and what their rights and privileges were. So it's if you're interested in kind of philosophy, that's a pretty good story. Um, there was another one called The Olympics in which um, scientists competed for positions in, and jobs and a young man who thought that he would easily pass all these tests finds himself placed in a facility for people who are not considered smart enough to be employed in the society. And he's very bitter because all he is given is... Um, busy work, you know, they're, they're allowed, they're taken very good care of, they have, you know, good food, good room and board, and they're given access to any educational materials that interest them, but of course, you know, the, the man, young man feels it's to no avail if he can never work and put his um, interests to use, and he escapes um, He's, he feels very inferior to a boy he grew up with who he thought he, he was so much smarter than that kid. and But that kid ended up with a good job and um, 
it it turns out that the um, actually the people who are weeded out were the most creative and eventually they are given you know positions of great interest and um it was just it was another good story about societies. I love stories about how our organization of people changes as you know in the future as other things change around them. Then there's a story called "My Name," um, spell my name with an S, and it's a really cool story about a guy who isn't doing very well. And well, he was he was not happy with his job. He was a team player, and just a cog in this in this big scientific, you know, all these men that have to work together on a project. And he wants to work on his own and and dream up something really unique and follow it through himself instead of being controlled by the, um, you know, fitting in in a big company where everybody sports everybody else and they anyway his wife says why don't you go see a numerologist and he does you know he thinks it's bunko but he goes and the the numerologist says you know this is really a science and I can't give you any guarantees but let me study your history and I'm going to find one small thing you can change that may give you an opportunity to to change your career course. And so what he does is just changes one of the letters in his name to an S. And it's got a neat surprise ending, and I won't tell you, but it's very cool. Um, Sally is one, was one of the most fun stories that I read. Evan's going to kill me because I'm talking too long. But I love that story. It was about artificially intelligent cars and it was about how these cars got so sophisticated and so good at pleasing their owners that when their owners died they feared that the car would go into cans where it wasn't well cared for so they would leave these huge you know amounts of money for the car to go to a farm and live out its life without having a driver and being able to go where it wanted and do what it wanted. And the neat thing is that the man who runs the farm is an advocate for these cars because um, some guy wants to buy them for parts and, and make more cars like them but cheaply. And, and, and he says, no, you know, I have a trust. These cars are... And he refuses the man's offer, and the man comes back with force. And it's just wonderful the way the cars um, come to his assistance and also the way they deal with a threat. But, of course, at the end, we're worried, will the word get out that living independently and not having to be driven and, and bossed around by an owner, will that catch on to where the cars are going to rebel and <laughs> also they start, you know, they, he realizes that they're communicating with each other. So it's, it's warm and fuzzy, but a little bit ominous at the same time. <laughs> um, such a beautiful day is about a time in, in our future when people just f to go from one place to another, they go through a door with a capital D 
and they materialize in the other place that you know there there are some technicalities about how they do it but it reminds you of the transporter in Star Trek but this little boy because of various things that happen uses the door with a small d which nobody does and they think outside is dirty and um it's full of disease and they it it's it, you know, it's one of these all-or-nothing stories where they all use the capital D door and they've forgotten the pleasure of going out and being in the environment. And it, and it talks about how his mother seeks psychiatric help for him and the psychiatrist falls under the spell of uh, being outside, too. Um, the up-to-date, the last book I'm going to mention is The Up-to-Date Sorcerer. And it's just, it's about a um, scientist who develops a pheromone that when you wake up, the first person you see who's not married, the, uh, of course, it, this was written at a time when, it, you know, it would all be opposite sex people that they become a couple and want to marry immediately. And so it's it's a very lighthearted story <laughs> of, about some of the complications that happen with who saw who and who shouldn't have seen who. And, and it's very, it's um, uses as source material a play by Gilbert and Sullivan, which includes a similar kind of scenario. And, Asimov was a big fan of Gilbert and Sullivan. Um, the last thing I want to tell you is that I was so enamored of all these, most of these stories that I um, went to Bookshare where they have over a hundred of them and I put this in an email to the group but I picked out about ten or so stories to put on my um, refreshable braille display because I want to read some of Isaac Asimov's factual material. Like, there's one that talks about the, the where all these scientific terms were, how they were derived, and how they came into use. You know, uh, there um, there are books. I love the robot series, and there's book. There's so many, and there's a children's book, and I'm still love children's books, and there's a mystery. But I I'm. I'll always be a big Isaac Asimov fan. He was so smart. <laughs> As for that reference to Isaac Asimov as a dirty old man, let me point out that he actually wrote a book entitled The Sensuous Dirty Old Man. And I think if you read a lot of his autobiographical material that he often puts in introductions to stories and such, that aspect of him does come through somewhat. Yeah, in the elevator, he told me I could have been a rockhead if I was just a little taller. <laughs> but, you know, in real life, it was pretty annoying. His ego was pretty annoying. I believe he also wrote some books of limericks that got ra rather uh, nasty, uh, naughty or whatever. I haven't read any of that stuff. But um, I think he did write some some books of limericks and not just poetry, though. I think it was just limericks. I don't know about limericks, but um, if anyone is is um, 
interested in mysteries, you should read his Black Widower stories. They're wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. What are those? Black Widower stories. It's all about a group that gets together monthly, and they they have a guest every time they get together for dinner, and uh, the guest has some kind of mystery in their life, and they they get him to talk about it. And the first question they always ask is, how do you justify your existence? And I just love those stories. They're wonderful. Yeah, there are a couple of books by Isaac Asimov, and I don't know where to tell you to find them right now. I don't know if they're on Bookshare or Bard or anywhere, because I have only read them in the far distant past in print form. But I believe there might have been a couple of volumes of Tales from the Black Widowers, and there is also a book of short stories, mystery stories, called Asimov's Mysteries. Yeah, those used to be either on Old Talking Book or on cassette, because I remember seeing them in catalogs way back in the day. And we're waiting for Evan to give his report. And what about Marshall? He hasn't said anything. That's because I haven't read anything lately. And the last thing I read, I can barely, I can't remember the titles of. It's a trilogy called The Andronan War. And it's about a female gunrunner um, who's actually a member of a royal family in a matriarchal empire who gets kidnapped back to her empire to become empress. And um, there's a lot of, well, uh, killing and other stuff is her empire fights another empire and um, the only two things that I found even slightly interesting was that it was a matriarchal society from India and they actually hired or had a reader who had an Indian accent Um, and they actually executed people by filling a room with nitrogen which I heard afterward that Oklahoma is considering using so they don't use drugs they just fill the room with nitrogen but I um, you can tell I'm not very impressed with it I'm still reading the year's best annual science fiction uh, 25th annual edition from Gardner Dozois and uh, um, and I'm almost halfway through it. I haven't read much science fiction this month. I've been reading nonfiction, um, so um, I don't really have too much of a report this month. Actually, in the last couple of days, I've been listening to a lot of the um, Cosmos series. I started out with. Um, Sagan and and not quite done with Neil deGrasse Tyson's newer version of it, but um, that's scientific, and I didn't want to mention it here because it's not science fiction, although a lot of science fiction has been written about the topics discussed, but it's a really fun thing to read, and so I'm going to be 
finishing that before I read next month's book, which I've already picked. <laughs> PBS used to run those quite a lot, so I got a chance to listen to them in the 80s. Uh, they were really well produced at the time. They had great sound effects and music, and, you know, Sagan was a great narrator, and uh, so uh, they were they were extremely popular, and I was glad that, because I didn't, don't think I saw them in the original, when they originally aired, but they were repeated so many times that I really don't know, you know, when they originally aired anymore, but I definitely got a chance to hear them in the 80s um, on my stereo system. I got to hear them in stereo on some decent speakers uh, in the 80s, so I got the really great sound. Um, back to Asimov, I just wanted to tell you, Bookshare also has volume two um, of these of short story, collected short stories. And one of the things I really admired about Asimov is that he is just, a, he was just, it's not, well, he is a creative on so many fronts, and he was a fact, you know, sci, uh, he wrote a lot of books of um, science fact and um, fact about the Bible. I don't want to read that because he doesn't believe, you know, he's not Christian, so... I'm just not interested in that. But, you know, he did write about Shakespeare and about, I, I'm getting the short history of England. And <laughs> he just really enjoyed assembling information. And another thing is that he was just a master storyteller. Um, there were funny stories in this book. There were um, shocking stories. You know, there were heart, heart-wrenching stories that made me cry. And he just draws you into the story so quickly, and he's very deft at um, setting up the different characters. And, you know, there were very few times I had to go back to the beginning to remind myself, like, who's who in this story. Um, but what a, what a brilliant man. Somebody made a joke in one of, I remember when I used to read Asimov's, um, this was many years ago, and it was one of those more light-hearted stories, I think, and and because um, he wrote all these Asimov's guides to all kinds of different things, and and somebody said that they were reading Asimov's guide to Asimov's guides. <laughs> it was really funny. That is funny. Um, one of uh, one famous science fiction author who uh, wrote additional stuff, which I've just discovered. I don't know if you guys remember Orson Scott Card, the guy that wrote Ender's Game and all that. Well, he's written some biblical science, uh, biblical fiction. And I just got done reading uh, his book called Stone Tables, which is all about uh, Moses and Aaron. And they're growing up together and, you know, how they how they became the people that they were uh, when they they uh, freed Israel and so forth. It's a very interesting book, I, I must say. It's not science fiction, um, but it's written by a famous science fiction author, so I don't know if it qualifies. But anyway, it was very interesting, and I enjoyed reading it. I remember reading a short story somewhere. Oh. Uh, where this guy meets Asimov, and it turns out the reason Asimov was so 
prolific was he cloned himself. So there were two or three or four of him running around writing stories and doing other things. Oh, I am proofreading because uh, a friend of ours scanned it. Um, I was planning to scan it, but um, anyway, she got a hold of it. and It's the year's best transhuman SF 2017. And I, I'm not sure how high my expectations are for it because I have never heard of any of the authors of any of these stories so I don't know, I just started the first story uh, I'm like on page two or three so um, next month I will be able to tell you more about that one, if, whether it's any good or not because the word singularity doesn't even appear in it so that kind of dinged my expectations a little bit um, but I'm going to try to give it a chance. There are a lot of stories in it. Most of the, they're not really long stories. So uh, I will uh, try to remember to report back on that next month if I finish it by then, which I hope to. But I'm reading a lot of nonfiction nowadays, and um, science fiction just isn't uh, as high a priority as it used to be. So, But I'm going to read this book. I wanted to ask Anne. I understand that... Orson Scott Card is a Mormon. Did that come through in the book that you were mentioning? I was going to ask the same thing, because I was thinking that uh, Mormons do have ideas that are somewhat different from the Catholics or Protestants, and I, I, I was going to ask the same question. Well, yes, as a matter of fact, um, he puts a, a note about that in his introduction and says that the reason you get references to the Messiah uh, is because Mormons believe that that uh, Christ came um, uh, to the Holy Land uh, before, you know, uh, or a couple of times or something. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly how the Mormon the Book of Mormon goes. Um, but the, there's references to the Messiah way back before even the prophets, um, you know, back in the time of Moses and Aaron. And so, um, you know, he does mention it, yes. And uh, he says that that's why his uh, biblical fiction has that particular slant. I think the Mormons have it that Jesus did his thing in the Middle East, and then when he left there, he showed up in America. That is correct, because we're reading, a, Cindy and Lissy and I are reading a book right now um, called The Lost City of the Monkey God by Douglas Preston, um, and it's a, a, a non-fiction account about him uh, on an expedition to find this lost city in... Honduras in a very difficult to penetrate part of the jungle there and he mentions that the Mormons believe that Jesus came to the Mayans after he um, apparently after uh, AD um, so um, but he doesn't dwell on it he just happens to mention that uh, the Mormons believe that um, I don't know if it's relevant to the story very much or not, but it it might be relevant if you know the Mayans had some kind of you know uh, iconography or references to it in some way that might be in this lost city. But I don't know. 
But he does mention that in the in this book at the, near the beginning also. Actually, the Book of Mormon is supposedly the history of uh, the North and South American continents, and it goes back before Christ, up through Christ, and a little after. Well, uh, we should probably close up here. Um officially anyway, and the next meeting of the Science Fiction Club will be on Thursday, May the 10th, 2018. So um, bring your books, and we will have a good time talking about that and whatever science fiction related or even non quite not quite science fiction related, but we enjoy talking about books. So we will see you all next month, I hope, and more. Goodbye, everybody.